Over the years, I've been engaged in a series of conversations with one of our leaders at church in which he's expressed to me what I think is a growing sense of frustration, a frustration with church, with church life, a frustration that's born out of everywhere he looks seeing work that needs to be done, particularly work at church. More to do, more to do, more to do, and yet seemingly a lack of people to do it. There's relational work that needs to be done, personal work that needs to be done, young men who need to be challenged and disciplined and discipled, older men who need to be encouraged, women who need to be empowered and released to serve for the gospel, families to be cared for, individuals all around us who need to be loved and served. Frustration born out of seeing institutional work to be done, right? There's always more property maintenance to do. There's uh, volunteering for break the cycle. There's leaders required for ministries. There's administration work to be done. Uh, There's always, it seems, more and not enough people to do it. See, there's the frustration, really, is born out of where is everyone? What are they all doing? Pre the pandemic, we would easily have on any given Sunday, say, 150 adults in church. Where are they? Now, if we can put it positively, instead of in the negative in that sense of getting frustrated, putting it positively, how is it that we as a church are going to thrive? What is it that's going to cause us to flourish together? Now, of course, when we talk about these kind of areas, it's very tempting to start pointing the finger to start blaming people, ah, oh, so-and-so, right? They, they have time and energy. Why aren't they pulling their weight? Why aren't they serving? What's their excuse? Why are they slacking off? But that's really not very helpful, is it? We, we can blame the staff. Why don't they work harder, right? I mean, there's the old joke. Ministers, they only work one day a week, right? I mean, if they even just worked two days a week, imagine what they'd get done. Well, of course, that's not true, but... We need better church leadership. But pointing the finger doesn't really get us anywhere. In fact, I think it's unhelpful. It's the opposite of what we need to do. All it ends up in is division, the very opposite of what we've been talking about. And it takes us personally down the path of bitterness, a bitterness that in the end turns us into the problem. No, more helpful rather is to spend some time with a vision, spending some time with a picture of what it is that church ought to look like, what it is that we are. Now, really, that's what I'm aiming for today. I want to show you two biblical pictures of the thing that will produce the thriving, that's the diversity that brings this thriving. Um, and, I, and I want you to kind of grasp this both for yourself personally and also as a picture, as a vision of what we as a church are aiming towards. Now, throughout our Ephesians series so far in Ephesians chapter 4, we've been looking at each of these markers of the Christian church. And I take it, if these markers are present, they will be a healthy Christian church. We've seen that we are to be unified, right? That one of the markers is unity, but it's unity, not uniformity. We are united by the Lord Jesus Christ into one, but we aren't then told to be identical. In fact, it is that very diversity we're going to talk about today. We saw that we are, uh, the marker of the Christian church is presence over proximity. It's not enough to be near each other, we need to be with one another, living lives together. Last week, Adam reminded us of of that marker, cultivating collaboration, or to put it in slightly simpler words, it's better together. And then today, 
diversity and thriving. The marker of the Christian church is diversity that produces thriving. And I want to show you two pictures. The first one is the picture of a body. That's into two Corinthians, sorry, one Corinthians, and it's chapter 12. Now it's a, a part of the Bible that we've become familiar with. Again, we've gone back to this image of the body a lot of different times. But as I read this bit, I want you to notice the description of how it is that God made the body. This picture that Paul paints of what the body looks like, and both the physical body, the, the, the personal body, but also then as the metaphor is applied to the church. Now I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 to 7 and then jump down and go from 12 through to 31. Listen to this picture. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Down in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. We were all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, Oh, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It's not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It's not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body, just as he wanted. If they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honourable, we clothe these with greater honour. Our unrespectable parts we treat with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the less honourable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffered with it. If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Now, God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? I take it the answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? No, no, no. But desire the greater gifts. And I will show you an even better way. That way, what is it? It's the way of love. He will go on in chapter 13. What an amazing picture. 
It's a very simple metaphor, it's a very simple image. We understand it very well. Most of us have a body, <laughs> one body, different parts, and yet united, and yet needing each other. Can't carry on without the other. Concerned, verse 25, concerned for each other recognizing that reality that I need you and that you need me. And that to attempt to remove ourselves from the body is to cut ourselves off from what we need and to cut others off from what they need in us. Now, don't get distracted by the gifts in here, okay? Apostles and prophets and tongues and miracles and the sorts of interesting things that we want to go, oh, I want to know about that. Don't get distracted by that and miss the fact that the body is as God has built it. Did you notice that in verse 18? As it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. Do you feel yourself to be weak? To, to be a nobody, to be... You are indispensable. Do you feel yourself to be less honourable? Maybe somebody who feels the need to stay and stand at the fringe because you are clothed in honour. The picture of God's church is the picture of a body and I want you to understand your place. You belong to the body. You are part of it. Now, maybe you're somebody who is a very keen church member, a very capable church member, connected. You really feel like you belong, like you are part. You really feel like you are one of these perhaps more respected or more honourable parts. Now, I want you to remember that you cannot function without the least of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That you, as an eye or an ear or whatever it is that you are, cannot say to the little toe, I don't need you. I want you to remember that and I want you to make sure that you don't find pride in being somebody who is someone in the church. You, like me, like every single one of us, are a saved sinner found by the Lord Jesus when we were lost and by his grace and his grace alone, undeserving as we were, brought home. Don't ever let it turn into a source of pride. Now, of course, keep working hard for the Lord, don't stop. But if you're somebody who, well, maybe you feel like you are on the edge, you're on the outer, you don't belong. You feel yourself to be different. You, you, maybe you've got a past and a history, uneducated, just not confident, whatever it might be. We need you. you. You are indispensable to us. You are part of this body. You are exactly the same a part of this body as every other individual. And maybe you feel like you don't fit in. Maybe you feel like those that group of cool people over there, you don't fit in with them. Well, you know what? They need you for who you are and what you bring. We need you. The body thrives because of the diversity. 
Just think of the things that you can do with your body in all of its gloriousness, with all of its different bits that work together so well. I can sit in my study and write a sermon, right? I need my butt to hold me up. I need my body and my torso to hold my head up so that it can read. I need my eyes, my brain, my hands, my ears, my earplugs to block out the kids. All the parts of the body are necessary to do this amazing task. You can dig a trench with your body. And your knees and your, your, your legs and the ankles holding you up and the back swinging the mattock. Your eyes to make sure you don't hit someone as you go. So many amazing things. You can ride a bike. You can do brain surgery with your hands, with your brain, with your eyes, with your ears, with your whole senses, with your body. Astonishing what we can accomplish because of the diversity of our body. Because of the body in all of its glorious parts. We need them all. I want to tell you the story about a man I knew at a church. It was a man named David. There you go, appropriate name. Uh, I, I don't, I have no fear in telling you his name. You'll never meet him. David was an unpleasant sort of person. Not, not that he was uh, unpleasant in being aggressive or not personality wise, but he was a slightly older man who lived alone. Uh, he was going blind. He was going deaf. He, he was off in his own world a little bit. Uh, he, he, would, he would mumble all the time. He'd be very hard to have a conversation with. Uh, he, his, his lack of awareness led to a pretty poor personal hygiene. And so being near him was pretty stinky. Um, he really didn't have a whole lot to contribute if you looked at him. Um, his presence at church was one that was, well, really very easy to write off. Uh, he'd sit through the service and mumble away a bit and kind of shuffle in and shuffle out and give you a rather damp handshake on the way in and out. And If David stopped coming, would, would we notice? Would, would we lose something? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. David was God's gift to us. I'm still not completely sure how, I'll be honest with you. And yet God arranged the body the way he wanted it to. You see, did David bring anything to our church life? We we, we tried to give him a job to do, something that he could serve, right? We, We put him at the door for a while and gave him the handouts so that he could hand them out to people as they came in, right? We thought, you, you can't mess that one up. Just stand there, say hello, give him a handout, right? And yet somehow he would manage that by the time he'd handed two or three of them out, the rest of them would all be crumpled and rather moist, not quite sure how. And, and so as people came in, there was a little bit of sort of, ah, do I, ah. David was God's gift to us. If nothing else, David was a constant lesson to us in how to love the unlovely. But actually, you know what? There was more to it than that. David was the one man I have known who did two things every week after the, after the service had finished. He did two things that I have never seen anybody else do so consistently as he did. Every single week, as we were filing out, shaking hands with the pastor and the preacher and whatever, David would be the one man who would have a reflection about the sermon. Now you say, well, hang on, surely that's common. No, it really isn't. 
every single week. He was the one guy who would have a comment, a question, an insight, something that had triggered for him about the sermon. And the second thing that David did every single week was when the service finished, he would go and sit in one of the pews right at the back of the church and pray. Somebody had told him once, your ministry, David, is to pray. He took that to heart. And every single week, sometimes someone would go and sit with him, but whether they did or they didn't, he would sit there and he would pray. The body. You, you have a part to play. And if you don't play your part, then the body is sick. The body will suffer. Let me show you the second picture. The first picture, the diversity that comes from the body, the body flourishes, can accomplish so much because of the diversity. The second picture is the diversity of the heavenly church. It was our first Bible reading in Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to read it again, it's very short, it's a couple of verses. But as I read it, I want you to try and picture it. I want you to try and imagine this glorious scene before the throne room in heaven. After this, John writes in Revelation 7 verse 9, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. (laughs) What a picture. I mean, I can't wait to be there. It's so simple, so simple, and yet so gloriously powerful. A multitude unnumberable. I don't know what the biggest crowd you've ever been in. Um, Maybe a 100,000 people seems to be about the limit to the crowds we hit these days if you've managed to get into a grand final or something. The, The mass of humanity, the roar that goes up. And this one, so clearly diverse. Every nation under earth represented. Every tribe, every lost little group somewhere that's had the gospel arrive and find salvation in the Lord Jesus gathered together and what are they doing? Calling out to our God. How glorious, how marvellous, how wonderful that our little gathering, our little church here is just a tiny little representation, a tiny little shadow, a tiny little part of that glorious one. Now I take it that we will thrive when our diversity represents that one. Not not the fake diversity of our world, not the forced diversity of of quotas, and uh, that's foolish. But the diversity that comes as the gospel goes out. The gospel that is for everybody, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Aussie, migrant, rich, poor, educated or dumb as a bag of hammers, right? For everybody. The gospel that unites us in the Lord Jesus Christ. As people are saved, they bring the richness from their own life to help and enrich our body. I think I've tasted this once before. A, a little a little foretaste of that moment at the end. We were in Cochabamba in Bolivia 
for the 50th anniversary of the IFES, the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. It was a gathering from all around the world. And there was one point in one of the sessions that they said, we're going to sing a song now, but we're going to sing it three times, and each time we're going to sing it in a different language. thousand people gathered, singing the praises of our God in English, in Spanish, in Portuguese. It was glorious. They had song leaders from different nationalities getting up to lead us in this moment. That sense of we are God's people brought together and the richness that we bring is so much better than what we would do alone. Let me give you an exa- another example. I'll just take food to show you the richness that comes out of diversity of culture. We are so blessed with food. You can eat from any of these, and I've had to write them down because I, I did, the list just kept growing, right? You could have Japanese, Filipino, Portuguese, Thai, Italian, Chinese, Vietnamese, American, Lebanese, or British food, all just in Ingleburn. Just in Ingleburn. If you then go Minto, you can add a whole bunch of other, there's, there's, there's um, all sorts of islander food, like it's just, you go Macquarie Fields, you can add all that, like, it's astonishing, right? How much better is it to live in this kind of a place where that melting pot of cultures brings us great richness compared to the alternative, right? The good old-fashioned British meat and three veg. And let's make sure that the veg aren't too interesting. Let's boil them all. You wouldn't want to have tasty Brussels sprouts after all, right? Thriving because of the diversity, the richness that comes because of it. Now, this is a diversity that begins with the group of people that God has already gathered. It's not a pipe dream for the future. It's not something that we're going to see later on. It begins now with you and with me being gathered by God, united in the Lord Jesus and bringing who we are together to serving one another, to building the body up together. Our church has and must have all sorts of diversity. It must Different cultures and different wealths and different education and different socioeconomic background and different pasts and different futures and different histories and different ages. And it must have different leaders. It must have diverse membership, diverse gifting, diverse ministries and structures. But all of it pulling together to that one common united goal of building the body up, of growing one another in Christ that we might be presented mature on the last day. Now, I want to wrap it all up together with three reflections. One's a temptation. Secondly, a freedom. And thirdly, one application for you. I want to start by pointing out a temptation. When we talk about serving and gifting, when we talk about bringing our own diverse person to bear upon the situation, upon church life, the temptation is... Well, if I'm supposed to be who I am and there's nothing that really fits me, then I won't do anything. If, if I can't find an outlet for what I consider my gifts to be, then I won't serve. If I can't find the ministry that I'm excited about or that I really want to do or that I think is the thing for me, then uh, maybe I'll just give it a miss. Really, I think what we mean, if we're honest with ourselves, is I just I don't want to. 
Now, look, I don't think that this is a massive problem for us. But it's worth pointing it out. And it's worth being honest with yourself. Now, of course, there's a danger, right? I mean, traditionally, what are the numbers? In in churches, like in most volunteer organisations, they say that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? And I I think we're slightly better than that, although not by by a long shot. But the danger is that the 20% will hear this and then flog themselves, okay? Being honest also includes the possibility of saying, no, no, by God's grace, I am serving well, I am working hard, I am pouring myself out for the good of the body. But it is worth taking stock. It is worth at least once a year, if not slightly more regularly, quantifying how much you serve the body of Christ. Putting, putting some numbers to it, putting some hours to it. How often do you make phone calls and visits? How often do you pray for people? What sort of practical assistance and help are you giving to others? How are you helping in administration or being part of one of the teams at church? Where are you teaching the Bible to others? How are you volunteering and leading? It's worth trying to quantify that. Again, not by way of being pharisaical, not by way of being religious and placing a burden, but by way of being honest. A true audit can reveal many things. Is your heart committed to the body of Christ? Not just to yourself. That's easy. The temptation is that we won't end up doing anything. The second thing I want to show you then is the freedom that we have. Come back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read for you Paul's view of himself. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win Jews, to those under the law, I like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might save, that I may by every possible means save some. I do all this because of the gospel that I may share in it. What a vision of his own life. What a sense of freedom Paul had that in order to win, in order to evangelize others, he would do anything. What a freedom you have in the Lord Jesus Christ to be what you need to be, to do what you need to do, certainly to reach out and win by any means some. And I take it that's a freedom that also extends out into the body of Christ, to reach out in love to serve, a freedom to do what needs doing. You are not limited to some gifting survey or or, or a list that somebody gave you, or, or waiting for someone to tap you on the shoulder and tell you what it is that you can do. You are free in the Lord Jesus Christ to pour yourself out in sacrifice for the good of others. And so thirdly, I want to, I want to put a challenge before you, one application. The challenge is very simple. Start serving. How about you do this? Why don't you set aside one hour? One hour each week, okay? One hour a week for the next six months. Book it in. 
Put it in your calendar, however it is that you organize yourself. One hour each week for the next six months with the very specific purpose and intention of blessing somebody else. Of doing something that will be of direct personal benefit to another person, particularly in the church body, particularly your Christian brothers and sisters. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit loath to give you ideas. I'm a little bit loath to tell you what to do in that one hour because I want our diversity to produce a greater flourishing than if it's limited by my imagination. So I want you to set the time. I want you to think of somebody. It could be somebody in your small group. That would be a great place to start. It might be somebody in the broader context of church to pray for that person and then to somehow be of blessing to them. The easiest one I can think of is just at that point, pick up the phone, give them a call. Say, how are you? I want to pray for you. What can I pray for you? How can I help you? I want to do something to be of blessing to you this week. I want to help you grow in your Christian walk. Now, there's a good one to do. Go and read the Bible with them, whatever it might be. If you're still unsure, then the one suggestion I want to make is talk to Adam. (laughs) Give Adam a call to get some ideas from him. Adam's a large part of his job, right? what we have set him aside to do in our church, is to help us serve. That's what Adam does. So if you're not sure who to bless or how to bless them, give him a call, right? get some ideas. Now, you may not have his phone number. I recognise I don't think he's in the current directory. Um, So if you don't have his number, I'm sure you can find it. Uh, Send me a message. We'll get it to you. Find him at church. Now, again, look, for some of you, you're already doing this, okay? One hour is just a small part of all the serving that you do. And if that's you, good on you, keep going. Um, Although maybe reflect upon how is it that you are blessing other people, right? And maybe there is a space for you to spend a little bit of extra time in direct blessing of someone at church, directly serving them, helping them grow and mature, okay? For some of us, this will be really, really daunting. A whole hour? Not sure what to do. Let us help you. Let's do it. As a body, as the body of Jesus, as the church that is reflecting that glorious gathering in heaven, the diversity that we bring as each one of us, each part of the body doing its bit, then we will thrive in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have united us to each other, that you have given us one another, that this body is comprised of so many little different bits. Father, we thank you for the smallest and the least and the most insignificant. We thank you that they are a gift to us. We thank you for those who are respectable and powerful and visible among us. We thank you for them, that they are a gift to us. Father, would you please work among us that this one spirit that we have partaken of would produce a bountiful crop of his fruit in our lives, that our character would be transformed and that that would be seen as we yearn to serve one another, as we desperately care for each other and love one another and want to be building each other up in Christ. And we ask this, Father, that through this diversity of members that you've brought to us, we would thrive. We would see the lost saved. We would see the hurting healed. We would see the hard-hearted softened. We would see your kingdom grow. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.